Hi, welcome to ALFC Podcast. At ALFC, we seek the lost, teach the found, and send the disciples. We truly hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Buddy, uh, I am so grateful to be here, and I'm really glad you're here too. You know, when you are in sometimes a season of confusion, I'm just so glad that there's a place I can go on a Wednesday night and I can worship God. I can feel his presence. I can be with other Christians. Because when you are in a time of uh, difficulty, and especially a time of kind of bewilderment, what is most necessary and what God wants to give us the most is an encounter with him. God wants to give you a divine encounter. I love reading Christian books. I love reading a really good Christian book that gives me wisdom and insight. But that book is different than a divine encounter with God. I'm a part of a small group, and I get together with a group of guys, and we pray for each other. And The Bible tells me I should do that, and I'm so grateful for them, and I do that, and it's a really rich time. But even that small group is not the same thing as a truly divine encounter with God. And I think it is so important that we raise our level of expectation that God is in heaven wanting to have a divine encounter with us because sometimes as we walk through our Christian faith, we get kind of standardized with it, kind of normal with it. And we forget that there is this God, this divine creator of the universe who knows the hairs on your head who is waiting to meet you in a way that will just blow your mind. And we're going to look at a divine encounter that took place in the Old Testament with a prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. He was a prophet for many years before he had this divine encounter. And when we read about this divine encounter, it seems almost crazy how it's written in some ways. What Isaiah teaches us is not so much his words but his own personal story. Because Isaiah lived in a time where there was this king, and Isaiah was a nobleman. He was like the Shakespeare of his society. So he hung out with the elite, and he would have known the king. He would have had meals with him. And this king Uzziah, he was a good king. He started out good. He became a king when he was a teenager. He reigned for over 50 years. But later in his reign, he lost the plot. He just kind of went off the rails. And Isaiah is a part of all of this, although we're not quite sure what Isaiah is doing or, or what he's saying. And then this king dies, and it wrecks Isaiah. And in his moment, in his season, he is confused. He doesn't quite know what's going on. And he needs something new from God. He needs a divine encounter. It's kind of like us, you know, you go through a season like when you go, I need something new. I need a divine encounter. I need God to show himself to me in a way that will just blow me away and re-engineer my faith and my hope and my convictions and my calling. So I want you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to read to you this encounter. And from it, we get some insights into the actual kind of encounter God wants to have with you and with me. In Isaiah 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. When we look at this encounter, I want you to look at it in kind of three phases. Phase one, when you have an encounter with God, you look up. You look up and you see God in a way you may have never seen him before. Phase two, you look in. Isaiah looks in at himself and you see yourself in the way that God sees you. And then phase three, you look around and you see those who are around you. And this encompasses what does it mean to truly have an encounter with God? You look up, you look in, and you look around. First, you look up. Think of what Isaiah saw. Do you read this description? I saw him seated on a throne seraphim, these winged creatures. I mean, this is amazingly cool stuff. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? This is like Fantastic Beasts and Lord of the Rings. This creature with six wings and four of them are covering eyes and feet as a sign of humility and two are flying and working and they're crying out, holy, holy. The temple is shaking. There's smoke. This is not a normal experience. You say, I could have that? I'm not saying you're going to see a six-winged creature. But yes, God wants to encounter you in a way that you would walk away from it and you'd go, I can't really even describe to you what happened. But I know I was in the presence of the Lord. And it was like nothing else that I've experienced here are these seraphim. To our knowledge, Isaiah had never seen them before. These angelic kinds of creatures. Do you know our walk of faith is really made up of kind of two dimensions. There is the dimension of familiarity and there's the dimension of surprise. Familiarity is good. We know the Bible, we read the Bible, we study the Bible. We know how to pray, we know how to worship. We're familiar with that stuff. When you came in, you probably sat in the same chair you sit in every Wednesday night. There's a familiarity, that's a good thing. There's a stability in there. But God also wants our walk with him, our faith, to have this dimension of surprise, where he shocks us, where we just go, wow, what was that? And I discover in my life, Sometimes I get it a little out of balance. I got a lot of familiarity and not nearly as much surprise. And God and his spirit challenges me, Joel, do you really believe that I can surprise you? Do you really have a faith that you could have an Isaiah experience? That you would walk away from it going, not even be able to find the words for it, 
They serve him. They say, holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew language, when you repeat a word, you are bringing such emphasis to it. And they are there, and they're flying around, and they're declaring the identity of God, this transcendence, this majesty, this holiness that's there. I've been watching this documentary that Will Smith did about the earth. It's the coolest documentary. And he was on one, and we're talking about the speed of what things are happening. And he talked about how we are currently, in this very moment, hurling through space at 67,000 miles an hour. And we don't feel it. We're just going 67,000 miles an hour, and we're sitting comfortably in our chairs. This was all created by his breath. And yet sometimes we treat God like a personal assistant. We have our dreams, our desires, our ambitions, and we want God to help us with that. And he becomes kind of like my personal assistant. When we have an encounter with God, it is not about discovering him as a personal assistant. It is about discovering him as this creator God and how holy he is and how other he is and yet how he knows the very hairs on your head. It says there is glory. The temple is shaking there's like this earthquake going on. Uh, many of you know, I moved to California, my family and I did, 10 years ago. We were from Chicago. There are no earthquakes in Chicago. It is a safe place to live. <laughs> then we moved out to Southern California. We had been here for two nights. We were in an apartment, and all of a sudden, there was an earthquake. I had never been in an earthquake in my life. It felt like there was a train going through our living room. The whole thing rumbled and shook, and it terrified me because I had, like, no place to go. Everything is moving. Everything is shaking. So then what do I do? I've never lived in California. When it ended, I went out onto the balcony of my apartment to look around to see what was going on. It was a typical newbie mistake. You don't go on a balcony after an earthquake. But I'll never forget that experience. Isaiah's having somewhat of the same experience. There's a shaking going on. And it's there as a picture for us. Because when we have an encounter with God and it begins by looking up, God comes in and he says, I'm going to shake you. This will not be a soft, simple, normal, understandable experience. But I'm going to shake you. Isaiah needed to be shaken. He knew it. With the death of this king, with what was going on in his life, he just knew he needed to be shaken. And maybe you need to be shaken. Maybe there's some mindsets you hold about what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. And God just needs to shake them up. Maybe you're attached to stuff in a way that Pastor Adam was talking about. And God just needs to shake that up a bit. Maybe there are some past hurts, and they are defining your life right now. And they have you in such a bondage. And God just wants to shake that up. Sometimes we just get in a funk, and there's this gray cloud that kind of hovers over us. And we need an encounter with God that is not subtle. We need an Isaiah experience. We say, God, just shake me up. 
Whatever you want to do, however you want to show yourself, you shake me up because you are the weight around this. Think of there was this bucket of water. And I took a huge rock and I dumped it in the bucket of water. All of the water would shake because the rock is what carries the weight, not the water. Our lives are like that water and God is like a rock. And if he's just a little pebble and you drop him into your life, hardly a ripple. But when you know the glory of God and you know the weight and the size of God and he dumps himself into your life, all of a sudden everything gets shaken up. So like Isaiah, if you're saying, I want an encounter with God, get ready. Because it won't be subtle. It'll be God wanting to show himself. This encounter, it's not replaceable. I'm not saying you're going to see angels. But I am saying you're going to see God. And you're going to see him in a way you don't normally see him. And you're going to step back and you're going to go, oh, and you're going to be kind of speechless to have this encounter with an almighty creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega. My question to you is, do you believe that that could actually take place? Do you literally believe that this God wants to have that kind of an encounter with you? Because if you look up and you believe that, yes, God, I want to have that encounter. When you have that kind of encounter, then you begin to look in. It leads you to looking at yourself. When you read this story of Isaiah, the moment he encounters God, he does not shout out, hallelujah. He cries out, woe is me. Because all of a sudden, he sees himself in contrast to how amazing God is, and his first response is to, whoa. We see this throughout Scripture. Moses did it. Jeremiah did it. Abraham did it. Remember Peter? Jesus comes to him and says, hey, Peter, you know what you need to do? You kind of need to throw your net on the other side of the boat. And Peter goes, you know, I'm kind of the fisherman here, Jesus, but you're the teacher. I'll do what you want. And Peter does it, and there's this huge miracle. The very next thing that Peter does is he falls on his knees in front of the Lord. And he says, get away from me. I'm a sinner. When you have this encounter with God and you look up and you actually see the glory and the majesty and the transcendence of God, the first thing that takes place is you look at yourself and you go, oh, woe is me. We do that in the natural. You ever encounter somebody who's a lot better at something than you are, that you thought you were good at? I know this is hard for you to believe, but many, many years ago, I was a really good basketball player. I got a scholarship to Westmont College. Now, I went to university, I didn't take that scholarship, and I started playing basketball with some other guys, and they were amazing. And I thought I was pretty good when I was in high school. And then I started playing with some other guys, and I went, I suck. <laughs> if we look at ourselves in contrast to people and realize, you know, I thought I was a good singer. You know, I thought I was pretty intelligent. You know, I thought I knew the Bible. You know, I thought I could play basketball. If we look at ourselves in contrast to people and realize, uh, what happens when you look at yourself in contrast to God? You come encounter with God and you go, wow. And here's what Isaiah says. He goes, I've got these unclean lips. 
Now, Isaiah doesn't explain to us what his sin is. Did he slander God? Did he have pride out of his lips? Maybe when his king fell off the rails, he just stayed quiet. Undoubtedly, he probably knew the principle out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So although we don't know it, Isaiah, when he comes in contact with the holy God, goes, wow, I got this issue. You see, Isaiah discovers he's kind of the problem. We live in a world where everybody blames everybody else. Republicans say it's the Democrats' fault. Democrats say it's the Republicans' fault. Union says it's management. Management says it's union. Old people say it's the young generation. The young generation say it's the old generation. Everybody's blaming everybody else. You have an encounter with God, and your first response is to go, you know what's wrong with the world? Me. It's my fault. I'm the one who is missing out here. Now, picture what happens for a moment, because you can't live there. For a moment, Isaiah's first response is the counter of God to be aware of his sinfulness. And all of a sudden, he sees one of these creatures pick up with tongs this fire and come right at him. The moment Isaiah confesses his sin, God attacks. And in Isaiah's mind, in the Old Testament, fire, it's always the judgment of God. And Isaiah has recognized his sinfulness, and now he sees the judgment of God coming at him, and Isaiah's conclusion is, I'm a goner. It's all over. And then the most miraculous thing takes place. Instead of judgment, there's redemption. Instead of cursing, there's grace. And these two go hand in hand for Isaiah, and they go hand in hand for us. When you have an encounter with God, and you look up, and you become aware of, wow, the majesty and amazing holiness of God, your first natural reaction will be, oh, I'm a sinner. But you don't live there. You start there, but you do not live there. Sin then comes this grace. And what happens a lot of times as followers, we live in one of two camps. It's always only sin or only grace. Those of us who live in only sin, we live with shame every day. We hear people tell us, God's forgiven you. Your grace is there, but we look in the mirror and all we see is shame because we look at all the bad stuff we do. We look at the ugliness. We carry the past. We carry the present. And we just live there. We never get out of Isaiah's, woe is me. But then there are some of us, and we only live in grace. We only live in this kind of freedom and liberty. And we never started with, woe is me. If you do not know the condition you were in, you will never fully get a hold of this majesty called amazing grace and what God has done for you. They always work together. And that's what this picture is about. When you have an encounter with God, it is such an otherworldly experience. It is so different than anything in the natural. It is this surprise, and you go, whoa, and your first thought is, wow, what's wrong with me where I've fallen short? And then grace just floods that room. Look at what happens in this picture. There is an altar. And in the temple, this altar, it's actually a picture of Jesus. Think of the description in Isaiah. But as I give you the description, 
Think of Jesus and the cross. Because thousands of years after Isaiah, a temple would be shaken. So much so that the veil would be ripped in half. There would be an earthquake and darkness would cover the land. Do you see how Isaiah's encounter is really a foreshadowing of who Jesus is? Jesus would be in the garden and a prayer to the Father would be, woe is me if there's any way that I don't have to take on the sin of the world. But no angel came to the Son of God and touched his lips. He was willing to go to the cross to die and to resurrect for you and for me. And that's why this encounter becomes so important because both sin and grace always work together because they show the love of Jesus. That's the gospel message. You are so much worse off than you think you are, which is a statement that so stands against society. But you are so much more loved than you think you are, which is also a statement that stands against society. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. I was talking to a friend of mine who actually believes in another religion. And I said, what does it cost your God to love you? And he looked at me kind of quizzically. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, your God, does he love you? He said, well, yeah, I suppose he does. I said, what does it cost your God to love you? Nothing. It didn't cost him anything to love me. And I said, you know, for my God to love me, it cost him his own son in order to love me. This is this picture of grace that is there. But then as part of the picture, not only is there an altar, when the angel comes to Isaiah, do you notice where he touches Isaiah? He touches Isaiah for restoration and redemption right at the very place that Isaiah said his sin rested. Isaiah goes, my lips are unclean. And God says, okay, I'll clean them. And he touches them right where there is restoration. We have this idea that there are parts of our life that are beyond God's touch. We are grateful that somehow we're going to heaven but this aspect that I've got in the corner of my heart is beyond God's touch. And the power of grace and redemption is God doesn't just touch you. He touches you right at your place of most ugliest. He touches you right where you need him in that place. You may be here, unlike Isaiah who said, it's my lips. You may say, Joel, it's my mind. I'm so controlled by fear. I go to sleep at night and I'm just so dominated by fearful thoughts. And no matter what you do, you can't get out of that trap. But when you have an encounter with God, he comes and he specifically touches your mind and heals you and redeems you and restores you. You may say, Joel, it's not my lips, it's not my mind, it's my heart. I'm all alone. I sit in a crowd of hundreds and thousands of people, but I am all alone. I got a family, but I feel all alone. And no matter what I try to do, no matter what I try to fill that void, I'm just all alone. And it is your heart that is broken, and it is your heart that is dark. And when he comes, he comes and he touches your heart. 
This picture of Isaiah shows us that when we have an encounter with God, God doesn't just generally redeem us. He knows specifically where your struggle is. He knows where your hardship is. He knows where your sin is. And he comes specifically to you at your very point of need. And that's where he touches you. Do you believe that's what God wants to do? Can you say, yes, I believe this is what God wants to do. He wants to have an encounter with me where I'm blown away by his presence, where I'm confronted with what's going on in my life, and yet I discover his amazing grace. We look up. We look in, but then we look around because the story doesn't end with Isaiah being touched by God, leaving the temple going, wow, thank the Lord I'm free. Because God asks this question. Because God knows he's got children all over this world living right next door to you who have not had an encounter with God. Isaiah goes from woe is me to here I am in an instant. Now he's already a prophet. He's already kind of in ministry. What is going on here? Here's what I think is actually happening. I think Isaiah, because of his gifting, because of his status, because of his lineage, he had been put in that place. Some of you know this. You're in here because your parents are Christians, your grandparents were Christians, and you're genuinely a believer. Don't get me wrong. But there's a normality to it. There's a culture to it. And all of a sudden, Isaiah, when he has an encounter with God, he goes from kind of a professional prophet to discovering a call that comes out of his identity. He kind of goes from being a Shakespeare to just being a vessel for God. He says, here I am. God doesn't even tell Isaiah what he wants him to do, and Isaiah quickly says, yes. Because it's no longer about his self-significance. It's no longer about success standards by those around him. Isaiah is in the middle of something divine taking place. And if this is all you hear tonight, if life with Jesus has become pretty normal for you, know that there is this incredibly loving, supernatural God who wants to have a divine encounter with you. He wants to meet with you in a way that you will not be able to describe. He wants to see your identity so transformed like Isaiah's that you experience the glory of God and when you look up and you look in, the result is you begin to look around and your life now has this meaning and purpose to it. What's hidden in this passage is in the very last verse of this chapter, which I didn't read. Isaiah ends this story by talking about a word from the Lord where the Lord says there is a seed in a holy stump. So God basically says there's going to be a lot of devastation. But one of those stumps, there's a seed in that. And it's talking about Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus coming. It's like here's the glory that's in the temple that God has. And then that glory goes to the Son. And he carries that glory. 
But then listen to what Jesus said about that glory in John 17. He's talking to the Father, and in John 17, 22, he says this, I have given them, that's you and me, I have given them the glory that you gave me. So Isaiah experiences the temple with the Father. The Father then gives it to the Son. The Son comes down to earth, and he gives it to us. So that glory, that shaking, that quaking, that smoke, all of that kind of transcendent supernatural stuff, Isaac said, and now it's inside of you. How could that be? Because the very Spirit of God dwells in us. Do you believe that God wants to have an encounter with you? He's put himself in you. He says, that they may be one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You got to understand this. The encounter that Isaiah had in the temple was for him. But when we have an encounter in the New Testament through the Holy Spirit, it's for us. And Jesus kind of adds this thing. Father, the glory that you had, that Isaiah experienced, that you gave to me, I gave it to them, not individually, but together, that they may be in unity so that the world would experience your glory through them. That's why I'm so grateful you're here tonight. That's why I'm so grateful abundant living exists, because it's a gathering place where we come together and we expect the glory of God. We expect an encounter with God. We have a faith for that. We have to have this level of expectation. Do you believe? Will you not settle for the routine, for the normal? Don't misunderstand me. It's good. It's just not all there is. There are these moments, especially in seasons of confusion, when we come to God like Isaiah did, and we go, God, I need an encounter with you. And whatever level of faith we have, even if it's just a mustard seed, we know that if we come to him with that level of expectation, we're looking up, we're going to look in, we're going to look around, we know God will meet us. Later on in Isaiah's ministry, here's what he would say in Isaiah 26.9. He says, my soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. This moment in the temple has changed Isaiah forever. He didn't have this moment every day or every month. But that moment, that encounter, changed him forever. Where he now realized what really matters is my seeking after God. That's really what defines me, that God would be present with me and I'm present with him. The David, the psalmist, put it this way in Psalm 69. He says, you who seek God... Your heart shall live. Not just finding God, but if you seek him, if you come before him like Isaiah came before him, if you come into that temple space and you go, God, I need an encounter with you. Life's really confusing right now. And I am grateful for the normal habits that I've got that stay me connected to you, but I just need a divine encounter with you. Wherever, however, I need that. When you seek him, all of a sudden, you know what happens? Your heart comes alive. And there is life that comes in this seeking. So this simple message the Lord wants to share with you tonight. Go after that divine encounter. Expect it. 
Ask for it. Seek for it. Have this encounter. Whether it happens in a moment, whether it happens over a period of weeks, because you can't box it in, there is a God who wants to show himself to you in a way that is more immeasurable than you could ever imagine or ask. Do you believe that? All you need is a mustard seed of faith. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I'm going to say a prayer, and Pastor Heron's going to come up and close. And my prayer is going to be a prayer of faith. You know, the disciples came to Jesus, and they said, please increase our faith. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit who dwells in you will lift your eyes. And you will sense a spark of faith that as you go through this week and next week, as you come back to church on Sunday, you will just not walk in and find your chair, but there will be a sense of expectation. God wants to have an encounter with me. I'm going to see angels. He's going to shake things up. And that part of my soul and my heart, my mind, that is still broken, he's going to touch it by the power of his grace. Tonight, he's just asking, will you believe? Will you have the faith? Lord, I thank you for each person that you have brought out here to your church on this Wednesday night. I thank you for the example of Isaiah's story. I'm overwhelmed that you spoke existence into reality and yet you personally want to have an encounter with me. Jesus, I want that encounter. I want to see you the way Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted. I want you to shake my world. Lord, I want to experience that touch of grace. I want to be able to stand in front of you, Jesus, and say, here am I, send me. I pray now by the power of the name of Christ, by your spirit who dwells in us, give us the faith to believe that you will give us such an encounter. Tomorrow, next week, this month, whenever, that you will give us an encounter and give us, Lord God, the passion to seek you so that our hearts may be alive for your glory. I thank you for this church. Lord, continue to let your light and your beacon shine out from here to every person. May this continue to be a place where people encounter you in a way that they cannot even describe because you have given us your glory and we are together. Thank you, Lord God, for the privilege of being sent. We love you. 
We praise you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Really hope that you enjoyed the message. If you said yes to Jesus Christ, we want to say congratulations and give you some resources to walk out your faith. Text NEXT to 81411, where you will get free information on that journey of faith. Be sure to tune in next time for more inspiring messages. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.